0: Hello and welcome back to the Fins Nation UK podcast. We're here for another episode and this time we've got a very special guest. With me, I've got former Dolphins offensive tackle, Richmond Webb. First of all, Richmond, how are you? Good, how are you doing? I'm good, yeah, not too bad. It's um, a time of the year in the NFL where it's sort of not much news happening, you know, drafts gone, free agency's gone. I mean, thank you, Dalvin Cook's rumours are sort of keeping the fan base all going, but I think this time of year is always the worst because it's sort of almost too early to start previewing the season, but it's all sort of, everything's sort of gone on before. CS, so, yeah, just that long dreaded wait before the, um, before the season begins.
1: Yeah. Like you said, um, not much going on. The draft has already occurred, free agency. And I, I guess the most, like you said, the most interesting thing right now is the Dablin Cook situation where we get, well, the Jets get him. It's kind of a little bit more going and, uh, basketball just ended and you know you got baseball so we got about another month and then we'll kind of kick off and get into things but yeah we're, we're just some dead space right now but you're right it's it's not much going on right now so uh I'll be glad when we kind of get through this period as well.
0: Yeah and of course we had the baseball this weekend actually it's gone actually in London uh, the Cubs and the Cardinals so we had a bit of that uh, but in terms of Dalvin Cook, we might as well talk about that whilst we're here. Um, in terms of, do you think he'll end up in a Dolphins
1: jersey, or can you see him potentially going somewhere else? I think if, if you take money out of the situation, I would say you'd have a 100% chance that he would end up in a Dolphin uniform. And the reason I say that is um, he's from South Florida. I mean, he grew up right in Miami. And, you know, when you're a child growing up, you normally root for the team that's right there in your city and stuff like that. And he's expressed that, you know, he would be a great fit. I think money will play a factor. Um, the good thing is that there are no state taxes in Florida. So the New York Jets will have to offer much more to make the, the deal comparable or whatever. So I'm hoping we can get that deal done because I mean that will be another weapon added to this offense that I think um uh, I think fans are already excited, but you add another weapon like davin Cook. I mean it it's gonna send people over the top,
0: yeah, I mean, I think I've certainly spoken to fans most recently. went to an event in London last Friday with those of NFL fans I met. A few from Finch Nation UK, such as Martin, for example, Bobby and Mark, Shirley. And we were all talking about how we've never really been this excited ever before about a Dolphin season. I mean, there's times before, looking back, my early days being a fan was the Joe Philbin era. You know, not much excitement there. Even down the gates, we had a bit of excitement after the first Jamaican making the playoffs. But I don't think even then the excitement was anywhere near as high as it is now. You know, adding Jalen Ramsey in. Tyree Kilkin last season, him and Waddle had both had, you know, great seasons last year, two or so so signs. And whilst there's doubt about his, you know, whether he will last long term in the NFL, I think that there's definitely excitement about him as well. So what's your thoughts going into that? We are, we are going to be at some point going into your career, but in terms of the Dolphins current state of Miami, I mean, just how excited are you about the season coming up and how far do you think the team can go this season?
1: Yeah, I, I think I'm just as excited as everyone else. Um, I think the key factor is keeping the team healthy. Um, unlike all the transition or acquisitions that they made during the offseason, uh, like you said, keeping Tua healthy. And I, I think Dolphin fans can see the difference when Tua was a quarterback versus when he wasn't in there and how more how much more explosive and everything the team was. This and that. So it's definitely important to keep him healthy and i think he's continuing to work to get better and better but like you say and a guy like a Jalen ramsey um you got tyreek you got waddle um and then if you can add a guy like cook um even in the draft uh devon a chain adding a guy like that it's just we have so much speed that you know even the analysts and everybody is projecting the dolphins at the lowest as a top five team in the nfl so Definitely playoffs, and I think we get in the playoffs and and everyone stays healthy at key positions. I think we got a shot at the Super Bowl, and I think that's what's got everybody excited. It's not like we're flying under the radar and people saying, well, maybe they can sneak in there, and it's it's no sneaking. I think people look at them and saying that, and then also on the other side of the ball, adding Vic Fangio, which was a former head coach. Now he's a defensive coordinator, so you get head coaching experience, but then he's one of the top defensive coordinators in the uh, NFL. And you got Chubb and, and, and Phillips coming off the corners. and this, it, it could be a nightmare. So um, it's not just we're one-sided where we have a really good offense or a really good defense. We have a complete team on both sides of the ball. And I think that's what people are paying attention to. And if we can, everybody can stay healthy, we should have a really long run and have a shot at the Super Bowl.
0: Yeah, I agree completely. I mean, Vic Fangio, we all saw what he did in Chicago as offensive coordinator there. That defence he had in that season where they had the famous double doink. I mean, that defence was brilliant. And he um, certainly, whilst he had his faults, probably as head coach in Denver, I think you look at his time as a coordinator, he was fantastic. So I'm hoping he can really improve that defence, which really was probably our weak point going into last season. So yeah, I think one of them. Um, but yeah, I think certainly it's an exciting time. But we're going to go back to sort of your career and talking about um, the early part of your career, really growing up in high school and college. But of course you are a former Dolphins defensive tackle. And I just want to reel off some of your um, accolades during your time with the Dolphins. I mean, two-time first team All-Pro, two-time second team All-Pro, seven Pro Bowl selection. You were in 1990s NFL All-Decade team. You were inducted in 2005 into the Miami Dolphins' Roll of Honor or Honor Roll. You had 118 consecutive starts, seven consecutive Pro Bowls, and you were able to retire as a Dolphin. I mean, just listen to all those accolades. How does that make you feel looking back at your your career?
1: It it, it makes me feel good. Um, You know, we had some really good teams. We had some really good runs. And um, I think the thing that I wish is I would have had one shot at the Super Bowl. I think my third year. We had a really good team and we made it to the AFC championship and lost to Buffalo. So other than that, um, if if I would have had a shot to play in the Super Bowl, I think that would have been icing on the cake and possibly have an opportunity to try to win a Super Bowl. But I mean, I think the thing you look at is team goals and team success. And in order to achieve that, you got to play at a high level and, and be at your best. And that's what I always tried to do. And I was rewarded with some accolades throughout my career, which I'm proud of. But I'm more proud of the relationships and stuff that I formed with guys that I still have to this day that I play with.
0: Yeah, I think so that you did all you could to win one. I mean, you've got so many accolades. You were certainly seen as one of the best ever. Defensive offensive linemen. I mean, we did a podcast, me and Andy Dimmock, about two months ago, we did our all-time Dolphins uh team, both offense and defense, and you were in both our teams. So this shows how well you're thought of by um fans from both sides of the pond. So yeah, um certainly that is a shame, but we obviously will go into that more later on. But yeah, certainly I think that um you can't fault what you've done in your career, and this certainly has been a, has been a good one. Uh, but, of course, you grew up in Dallas, Texas, um, went to Dallas Independent School District, Roosevelt, um, in a state that is so football-orientated. Was football always the goal for you growing up? Was that always something you aimed to do, or was there maybe another sport or a different job you maybe had other aspirations of as a kid?
1: No. Well, you know, as a kid... Um growing up in Dallas, like you said, it was the Dallas Cowboys. So uh, I was a kid from a little kid growing up and uh, played sports, but um, loved football and basketball. But, you know, the Cowboys was my team. And so once I started playing organized football and this and that, um, that was a goal. And then got an opportunity to get a scholarship to go to school to play football at uh, Texas A&M. And so I knew that would pay for my education. And then, As time progressed and I continued to get better and better, I knew I would have a shot But to say way back then that I knew I would have the career that I had. I didn't, but if you asked any kid, would they want to play in in the NFL or pro football? Of course. Um, So I was, I was happy that I got an opportunity to play at Miami because I got coached by like Don Shula playing with Marino, Mark, Mark Duper, Mark Clayton, guys like that. So, I went to a really good organization and they were known for winning success and this and that. And I think that helped my career as well, learning from guys that came before me on how to conduct yourself as a pro and what it takes to play at a high level. And just, I, I didn't try to reinvent the wheel, I just saw what other guys did and just implemented that, and, and it worked out for me.
0: Yeah, I mean, certainly, um, you know, Dallas Cowboys, one of the richest uh, franchises, one of the most historic franchises in NFL history. I mean, five Super Bowls, uh, two of them coming in the 70s. You must have been growing, growing up in that era as well, um, or at least a, a child. So it must have been almost, if you imagine you watching that back then, must have really inspired you to, to go on and try and win more. The fact that you'd, you'd seen your hometown team going on doing so well in the NFL.
1: Yeah, uh, like you said, you know, Cowboys, uh, Dolphins, Steelers, those are some of the organizations that people just, you know, just relate to. And uh, even like overseas, internationally, um, I remember when I played the Dolphins, we played in um, Tokyo one year, we played in Berlin, um, and we also played in Mexico City. But the fan support and the, the fans were like, Really nice, but I mean, it came out, the stadium was sold out and and just to see fans that are internationally that don't probably get an opportunity to see us play all the time, come out and support us the way they did and, and the, you know, get autographs and stuff like that. It was a great, great experience for me as a player. So I, I appreciate that.
0: You mentioned Germany, of course, the Dolphins are playing this year in Germany against the Chiefs. Are you going to try and make your way back to Germany this year to go and watch it?
1: I'd probably have to be invited. I'm sure that's gonna be a tough ticket to get. I'm sure that game is probably already sold out. And it's a great matchup. You got Mahomes and two or two of the top, you know, quarterbacks in the in the uh NFL and the you know Chiefs has won a couple of Super Bowls. So I think it'll be a good matchup. And I, I definitely gotta see that game because I want to see how we match up with, you know, a team that's been there this and that. I, I think it's gonna be a great game. I don't know if I'll make it, but I'll definitely be rooting from here in, in the United States, I'll tell you that.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's um certainly. I mean, I'm I'm surprised they even got that game because the London series has been as good as it has been. We've never ever had a matchup as good as that on paper. I mean, that's the best I've ever seen for any international game in any sport, let alone the NFL. So it's um, you know, Tyree Kill, of course, is gonna be one one of the main talking points going back to his old team. But uh, I don't know whether you saw yet was it yes the day before yesterday, Richmond, where it sold out in fifteen minutes, and there were one point four or one point five million people in the queue. And Ticketmaster,
1: fifteen minutes,
0: yeah, wow. it sold out that quickly. And it was people were showing on Twitter on the like their position in the queue, and it was like one million three hundred and something. It's um, yeah, it's it, it. I think it shows that how much Germany and and Europe just love love, love
1: the NFL. They love American football. Yeah, because I, I know um, I didn't realize when I first came to South Florida, and then I started getting into the World Cup and stuff like that. And soccer, you know, it's really football, but, you know, we, overseas, I might say, oh, y'all, y'all play American football, but soccer is really football. And then that's when I really I said, oh, this is a whole nother level. Um, so, you know, start learning about different stuff, different cultures, because Miami is really diverse. There's a lot of international people. This and that. So I just started learning different stuff, and it broadened my horizons. To you know, there are other things out there. So, yeah, I, I was definitely impressed. But to have, like you said, to sell out in 15 minutes and that many people trying to get tickets. And I agree with you. I don't think they've had a really good matchup like this in an overseas game that I can think of. So I, I think you had a great point there. So this is this is one that if it, it was either in Kansas City or Miami, I think the game will sell out because people want to see a matchup like this because you don't get to see that very often. You right?
0: Yeah, I think it's going to be, I think a bit in our favour, actually, because we're not going to be having the... I went to Arrowhead last year and I know just how loud that place can get. And I think that's maybe one good thing we're going to have more, maybe more of a neutral venue, which may help us get a win in that. Um, right, moving on from... High school, you went to college, you mentioned Texas A&M. You're actually wearing your college gear right now. For all the audio right. listeners, you are wearing your Texas A&M. Um, again, just some of your highlights. Actually, before we do that, um, some of your teammates in in high school include Aaron Wallace and Kevin Williams, who, of course, is a two-time Super Bowl champion. Now, you mentioned before in the podcast where you, obviously, one of your career regrets was not winning one. But was that sort of almost the next best thing, was seeing your high school mates go on and,
1: and go on and win a Super Bowl? Yeah, uh, you know, uh, Kevin uh, got one with the Cowboys. And um, like I said, anytime, you, you got to be happy for other people. Even when we didn't win it, um, we lost to Buffalo. And um, but when you have friends that achieve that success, I mean, I don't think you can be envious of them. You support them because they put the work in and they got the job done. We just didn't get it done. So um, I was definitely happy to see him, you know, when that come back to our high school or whatever and show kids that, Hey, this is what's possible. Um, you know, you work hard, put the work in and and you can achieve anything. So I was, I was extremely happy for him and he's a really good dude as well. So yeah, I was, I was definitely happy for him.
0: Amazing stuff. But, yeah, going back to uh, Texas A&M, just some of the highlights you had. Um, in 1989, you reached the Sun Bowl against Pittsburgh. You were made team captain in the same year. You were SWC champions in 86 and 87, and you were in the all-SWC team in 1989. Um, the, out of those four, maybe there was more I've just not found out, but what would you say would be your biggest highlight during your time in college?
1: We went to uh, three Cotton Bowls, um... And what well, we won two out of three once we went, but um, I think that was the thing It's you know they had a playoff system now, but it was basically win your conference, and then we result if we won we went to the Cotton Bowl, uh, I think the SEC was uh, to the Sugar Bowl, so it was a little different back then. And then I think journalists would vote on who was you know who they thought was the number one or two team or whatever like that because a lot of times. It could be two undefeated teams, but if they weren't in the same conference, they might not never play. So you had to look at strength of schedule this and that. Where now, if you make the college playoffs, you play. So whoever wins it at the end of the day is actually the true champion. But I think just being able to, you know, play with some of those guys, you know, four or five years and then to achieve some of the success, like you said, you know, be able to go to bowl games and, and get rewarded at the end of the season for having a really good season. Um I, I still have those memories. I still got my bowl rings and stuff like that. So um those are some of the memories that I cherish and memories from that time in, in college. Yeah,
0: Amazing stuff. And then going on to the NFL, you were the ninth overall pick in 1990 by the Miami Dolphins. You would go on to start 183 regular games for the Miami Dolphins so in your career with 163 with the Dolphins and a further 20 with the Cincinnati Bengals, where you played the final two years of your career. Um, in terms of your draft experience, because I we had OJ McDuffie on, um, one of your former teammates in one of our previous episodes, and he was talking about his draft experience and how different it was to how the current draft sort of day is for NFL players and how it goes and how much more televised it is back then. So for you, what was your a draft experience back getting drafted were you with family with friends were you in a whole how was your overall day when you got the phone call to get drafted by Miami
1: yeah actually you're right it's 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 like a whole production now the, the draft I mean they do a really good job with it um, I went about five or six years ago to had it in Nashville so I was highly impressed you know TV doesn't do it justice if you've never attended a, a, a draft experience but um Yeah, back then, they would have a few guys go to New York, Uh, but what I did, I I went home to Dallas to my parents' house and watched the draft from there, and uh, I got a call from two or three teams, I think it was Miami was one of them, excuse me, and um, they were saying, if you're there, we're going to take you this and that, but until you actually get your name called, you listen to that, but you know, so many things can happen in the draft, so you start watching the draft, and it was on. It was only on ESPN back then, so um, I think it was Joe Theisman, Chris Berman, Tom Jackson, and of course Mel Kiper. That was the the panelists, and after every pick, they analyzed and everything. And uh, I think I was a ninth pick, so when they picked Chris Singleton at the eighth pick, he went to New England. My phone started ringing, so I pick up the phone, and it was Coach Shula. And he said, uh, uh, might speak to Richmond Webb. I said, Yes, sir, this is him. He said, oh, Are you ready to be a dog? <laughs> I said, Yes, sir. So I could actually breathe because you know, you try to relax and be nervous. I was nervous, but until I got my name called, I was happy and this and that. And I was happy I was going somewhere warm. I didn't want to go to no cold weather team. So everything worked out. I was like, Thank you, Lord, this and that. And uh, man, it was. I could breathe, I could relax then. But before the draft, I was really nervous and stuff because if you watch drafts before, you can see guys that were really highly rated and sometimes you slip lower than what they project you to go. And it's just, but once you get that phone call, it just takes a bunch of pressure off of you. So that was my experience right there. And do
0: you remember at all, you mentioned that you had the analyst on ESPN. Do you remember at all what they were saying about you when you got drafted?
1: what i remember is i think around the sixth pick um they started talking about i think it was chicago had the sixth pick so they started talking and saying well they could use an offensive lineman maybe richmond webb this and that and they took mark carrier a defensive back from usc so i was like oh. so the seventh pick um was run and shoot my name came up a little bit but i Kind of figure Andre Ware was going out. He was a quarterback from University of Houston, which I played against in the Southwest Conference. So they took him, and in the eighth pick, my name came up again. You know, well, maybe New England might take him. They took Chris Singleton. It was like being up with the baseball bat and swinging and just keep missing. And I was like, okay. And so, but once I heard his name called, my phone started ringing. And I and even after I called, they waited like the whole Back then, each first-round team got 15 minutes. So they called at the beginning of the 15. I waited 15 minutes. They took up all their time before they announced the pick. So I knew 15 minutes before everybody else. But they said, just hang tight. We're going to announce. And they took up all the time. And then back then, they had, had these helmets that were um, telephones. And each team had, a like say, a dolphin helmet. And then the guy would pick it up and write something on the card. And then they would give it to um, – Paul Tagliabue was the NFL commissioner then and give him the card and he would announce it. And then they start showing you highlights and stuff like that. So yeah, that was my experience.
0: And wanting a warm place, I bet you're glad you avoided Chicago, and New England.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, I played a game in Chicago. That was, that wind and that cold weather was no joke. I, I was so happy. I went to Miami. I said, at least we can go play a cold game, but at least we get to come back to the warm weather. But yeah, I, I, I was happy. I, I didn't want no part of that cold weather, I can tell you that now.
0: Yeah, having been myself in New England in December at Gillette Stadium, it's um, not a fun experience when you're not prepared for it as well. <laughs> Man, that's
1: cold, brother.
0: Yeah, minus six and I wore vans. It's um, a decision I still regret to this day. <laughs> <laughs> um, and of course, being ninth overall, was there any element of a chip in your shoulder in terms of these eight teams before me passed on me, or were you just happy to be in the NFL? Did that not really matter to you?
1: Yeah, I was, I was happy to be in the NFL. I really didn't take it personal that some of the other teams didn't draft me earlier. The only thing I felt pressure for me was I wanted to perform and show that I was worthy of the pick. You know what I'm saying? And I think the thing that was key for me was... Um, I think I missed a week of training camp, maybe, maybe a day or two more. So about nine or 10 days of training camp, but I got in training camp where I could learn the offense, started taking reps. And it's, and I think that was vitally important because a lot of times if you hold out all the training camp, by the time you come there, it's not that you can't play, but you don't know any of the plays. So it almost looked like you're a bust your rookie year because you've been fighting, negotiating, trying to get the deal done. But we was able to get it done early, and I think that helped just speed up the process along. But that was one of the things I didn't want to be considered a bust by saying, oh, we drafted this guy and he didn't work out and this and that. I think that was my biggest concern after that.
0: Well, you certainly lived up to it, and you certainly weren't a bust going into your career. I mean, you mentioned more about the playoff loss to the Bills. I mean... You played 13 playoff games in eight seasons, which a lot of Dolphins players recently can't say. Um, I mean, just looking at some of your um, most memorable playoff games, I mean, you, you would go out in the conference championship uh, to the Bills 29-10, I believe it was. Um, you would lose again to the Bills in 95, a year after losing to the divisional round, to the Chargers losing in the wild wildcard round in 97 season to the Patriots, losing the divisional round to the Broncos in 98, and that infamous game against the Jaguars, the, the heavy loss in Marina's last game, and then you lost again to the divisional round. But, of course, you were um, in the last team to ever win a playoff game for the Madden Dolphins as well. You were part of that team that did win in the early 2000s. Um, so, in terms of that, um, first of all, what would you say... You mentioned before about being a regret of yours, not winning a playoff game. Was it anything you look back on maybe that would, you would do differently in those games? And then also going into being the last team to win a playoff game, what do you think has been the reason why Miami haven't won a playoff game since you, since you, since you last played for them?
1: Yeah, I think it's been a long time. I, I think it was just um, finally finding the right coach. Um, I think at times they, they didn't do as well as they possibly could have drafted certain players, players that didn't work out, this and that, you know, it's a lot of factors. And it's, um, it's easy to say hindsight that, you know, this and that, but at the time you think you're doing what's best for the team or whatever. And, and, and so I, I don't them for that, but, um, I just I just look at it and I was glad I played in the in the era and the period that I did and the guys I played with. Um but you know, you know, going into the playoffs is just you gotta play almost mistake-free football. So I know at times we went in playoff games where we had a lot of guys injured or whatever, and it was highly unlikely that we was gonna come out and win. So it's different factors, and I understand that. But um I'm just happy after that long span that drought like like when you say we played the last playoff win we should have plenty of playoff wins since then but i think we're getting back to that and even when we lost last year to buffalo we lost with our third string quarterback so if we have our first string quarterback maybe it's 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 a different deal so i understand that but the trajectory is heading up and I, i think everybody realized that we're on the right path and and it's that so that's that's what I'm excited about. I just want to see it come to fruition. So I'm 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 definitely excited about this this season this year.
0: Yeah, and I think that we've seen when Tua did play against the Bills, um, you know, he gave him a good go. I mean, we won the game in Miami in week four, it was, and then the uh the snow game we had most recently in Buffalo. Uh, we almost won that game as well. So I think that you know now we mentioned before Vic Fanger coming in, you add Jalen Ramsey as well. I think that, you know, this team, I I think personally, uh, we are going to do a season preview near the time on, on the podcast, but I do think that we can certainly finish above the Bills. I think we really can, especially with the Stefan Diggs and Josh Allen stuff, recently coming out with all the fallings out. I think there's definitely potential to be um, to unrest in the Bills camp. So I think that the Jets, I, I do worry about because of Aaron Rodgers, um, but at the same time, I think that this team, provided, provided everything goes right, and that is a key, provided everything goes our way I think we can certainly at least win a playoff game, which I've never seen never seen in my time being a fan. Um, we are doing a Q&A later on, but this all sort of does lead into one of our questions we had from um, one of our members of Finns Nation, Keith Kenneho, about what made the O-line so effective for protecting Dan Marino. Because I was looking at the sort of the quarterback rankings every year when you played for the Dolphins. Um, so from 1990 to the year 2000, obviously, Thousand was the year where Jay Fiedler was in rather than Dan Marino. But looking at uh, Dan Marino's ranking amongst other quarterbacks of being sacked, he was never in the top 10 most sacked quarterbacks. I mean, um, looking at particular times, I mean, your your rookie year, he was sacked. 20, he was 29th, only got sacked 15 times. I um, mean, looking further on, um, 24th in 94, only 18 times, only 18 times as well in 96. Only 20 times sacked, ranked 26th overall in 97. So there was a lot of years where Dan Marino, for all the times he didn't win the Super Bowl, he was very well protected. So for you, what do you think was the key behind your line protecting him so well and making sure that he wasn't in the top 10 most sack callbacks in any year you were a, uh, you were a Dolphin?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think we really worked. We worked on that and we took pride in that. And even before I got there that was something that, that, you know, the Dolphins did well was protect Dan Marino. So um, when me and Keith Sims came in, we were rookies. And then uh, the two guys that were the starters the previous year, they were holding out for um, new contracts. So um, Coach Shula made a bold move, which most people don't do, is he put two rookies on the blind side of his quarterback and um, it actually worked out. But, we had to put a lot of work in and like I said, they got assigned early and played every preseason game. So we got a ton of reps. And then once you kind of learn the offense, where you're not thinking about what the play is or what you do, then I think that's where you see the growth comes because now you can just focus on, well, I know I got this guy here. I just need to block him well. When you don't know the offense, you like, if there's any hesitation, do I got this guy, that guy? It slows down because now you kind of hesitant. Do I go this way or that way? So um, that's why I said it's it's vitally important to get into camp early. But, you know, we just worked hard and we had really good offensive line coaches and uh, we just did a good job of communicating. And I think that's why we had success as far as protecting Dan Marino.
0: And just how, how much of a shame was it to see the way he went out of his career in terms of that loss to the Jaguars, his final game, I believe it was a divisional round. Just how um how gutting was that for the whole group and how you know does, how, how was that for you to experience that game where you know his career did end in a in you know, a not
1: so good way? Yeah, that was that was tough. Um I think we had went to Seattle the week before, played there in, in um uh, the wild card game and beat Seattle at Seattle, and then we had to turn around and go to Jacksonville, so, and that was a really tough game against Seattle, you know, they had two weeks prepared for us, but it was one of those games that seemed like everything they did went right, and we couldn't just, no matter what we tried, it just didn't fall into place, and and, and at times, it's that way, but um, to get beat like we did, I, I don't think anybody expected to be that wide margin of a gap, so that that was pretty tough, but I think the effort was there. It's just it just wasn't our day. That's that's the only way I can chalk it up to you. I just think it just it wasn't in the cards for the dolphins that day. And you know, we put effort in, but it just it wasn't our day.
0: Then of course, um the final year of your time at Dolphins, the quarterback changed. So it went from Damarino to Jay Fiedler. still kept him as one of the least sacked callbacks, 21 quarterbacks were sacked more than him in that. 2000 season but apart from the obvious comparisons between Dan Marino and Jay Fiedler the obvious comparisons are there but what would you say apart from that was the biggest difference you found going from Dan Marino who would be a future Hall of Famer to Jay Fiedler
1: yeah Jay I think Jay was a more of a mobile quarterback we could you know do stuff rolling out of the pocket this and that. With or Dan was a more pocket quarterback he was limited because um He wasn't very mobile, but he was just so accurate in throwing the football. So um, I think with Jay, teams knew that they'd have to keep containment because, you know, they ran some kind of crazy stunt and he got outside of containment or the pocket. He could hurt him with their legs. Well, most of the time, most people wasn't really worried about Dan Marino running. It was like, try to get to him because he could break down the defense so quick that once he found an open receiver, he would just shred you apart. So it was like two different quarterbacks, but one had, you know, pluses and minuses over here. You know, Dan just wasn't mobile, but that's why he was a Hall of Fame quarterback because, you know, the mental part and his accuracy and getting out and just throwing the ball the way he did, it was, nobody did it better. And that's why he's considered one of the greatest to ever play that position. So we just
0: talked about transition from quarterback to quarterback. Let's talk about transition from head coach to head coach. You had three head coaches in Miami, the great Don Tula, the great late Don Tula, Jimmy Johnson, as well as uh, Dave Wonstett. Um We covered the same thing with OJ McDuffie, um, but how would you compare those three head coaches you had and your experiences with uh, with each one?
1: Uh of course I'm probably, I'm, 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 I'm partial to Shula. That was the guy that drafted me. So, um, uh, you know, he was one of the best to, to ever do it. Um, you know, Jimmy, Jimmy was good. He came in, uh, he was a tough coach, but he knew the game of football and he did a good job. I mean, we worked really hard in practice, but he did a good job of preparing you of what to expect. Um, as far as you know how the game probably would go, this and that. So he he did that really well. And then Dave Wonstead took over the last year because you know Jimmy decided to retire, or whatever. But he was, uh, I guess Jimmy was like his mentor because he was his defensive coordinator in Dallas, and then he went on to coach at Chicago, and then came back to Miami up under Jimmy Johnson, and in that. So uh, he, to me, he was a little bit more laid back than than Jimmy, but you know, I've, I had really good coaches and I think they understood they were they were different. But I think they understood what it took to win and, um, you know, preparation, uh, the mental part of the game and not doing things to beat yourself. And I think that's why we had the success that we had while we were there.
0: And finally, was that sort of a game? during your time as Dolphin maybe that stands out the most, maybe as a favorite game you took part in or most memorable game you took part in?
1: Uh, I'd probably say uh, um, probably early on the thing that really shocked me is I think we were playing in Cleveland. And I won't say it was the first. You know, in practice, you work on, like, the two-minute offense or whatever, and this this is a game that for some reason we were behind maybe a touchdown, a little less, maybe five or six points, but we needed to score and we didn't have, I know we didn't have two minutes and we ran a two-minute offense and um, Dan drove the ball down so fast, so quick and we scored and I was like, I can't, like it happened, but you almost like I can't believe it happened and then so When you're not used to that, I think that was the thing that I had to make it. I was like, man, we really just went down here and scored in maybe a minute or a little bit more. And, you know, coming from college where we ran the football all the time and then you go from the transition of throwing the football and, I mean, he would throw it on the ball, on the ball, on the ball, and before the defense could get set, he's snapping the ball and he's drilling again on the ball, on the ball, and you look at him like – the, you, you, you're trying to get on the ball. The 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 sideline guys are trying to move the change up. I mean, it's like it's like a, it's like in fast motion. So, but then next thing you know, touchdown, and I'll be like, we just scored a touchdown. It was like that was once you went through it a few times, you know, it's okay. You knew that if you gave Dan Marino time, he he would pretty much deliver every time. And I think that's a the thing we kind of got spoiled with that people would always ask us if y'all can score that quick, why don't y'all just do that all the time? And I was like, no, 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 we can't do that because you got to make drives last because your defense will be wore out and it'll work against you just like it'll work for you. So but people just ask us all the time, man, if y'all just go down there and just do that all the time. I was like, I hear you, but no, you you can't speed it up that much all the time. But I think that was the thing. It was the first time I went through the two-minute offense with Dan Marino and seeing how quick, fast, and effective he was, it was just like, I can't believe it it happened. So that's the thing that stood out to me.
0: Amazing, amazing. I I actually forgot to ask you as well, have you been to Jimmy Johnson's restaurant in Key West at all?
1: I have not been to... um, it's restaurant, but I'm probably a seafood or something like that, so I yeah. love seafood. Yeah. I just got to drive down there. It's Man, there's so much good food in Miami. I normally mm-hmm. don't have to go that far to get it, but uh, I need to take a visit to Key West. They got a Key Lime. I think they make those famous Key Lime pies. Mm. Down there. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I can make a road trip down there. You're giving me some ideas now, so I'd make a road trip down there.
0: You definitely should. I mean, we went there last year. A few of us from the fan group went down to... To the big Vikings game last season, we made the trip um from Miami after the game. Next day, went to Key West for a week, and yeah, he mentioned he mentioned the Key Lime Pies. They were um, I mean, I'm I'm actually not normally a fan of the Key Lime Pies, but when I was there, it was so good. It's so good. I I can see why it's named after Key West. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> um, but yeah, the the food itself is really good. Um, but yeah, moving on your final two seasons which were spent in Cincinnati so an entire new state going from Florida to Ohio you think you made 20 starts of the Bengals in those two years how would you describe the feeling of having having to leave the Dolphins then what it was like to go into a brand new team brand new place tiny teammates and tiny new coaching staff how was that process for you and how, how did your last two years how were they for you?
1: Yeah. You know, the thing is, is that um, I think by that time I understood that, you know, I wanted to stay in Miami, but I understood the NFL is a business and they, at times you got to make tough decisions. And I was getting toward the latter end of my career and I'd had some injuries and stuff. And so I understood it, but I didn't take it personal because it's business. And, um, but I wanted to continue to play football. So uh, Cincinnati gave me that opportunity, and I was happy to go there. Um, it was a little different, you know, younger guys, this and that. But um, uh, I had a good experience up there, and and then I was one of the elder statesmen that a lot of guys would come to for advice or seeing how you know I practice, carry myself in practice. It would probably force younger guys to say, "Okay, well, if this old guy is doing this, then." I got to step up and, and and do that. So um, it was good. We didn't win a lot of games, but uh, like I said, a lot of great teammates. And then uh, eventually I had to retire. But the thing I am happy is, is that, you know, I kept a good relationship with the Dolphins because that's where I spent the majority of my time. And when I made the phone call to say, hey, I would like to come back and sign and retire as a Dolphin they welcomed me with open arms. So, like I said, it's a business. It was nothing personal. It was just, I wanted to keep playing and, you know, they went in a different direction. So, that's just part of it, but it was nothing personal. So, I was I was happy to continue to do what I wanted to do. And then I was happy to come back home and become a Dolphin. So, it worked out great.
0: Yeah, you mentioned there that obviously injuries played a part in your latter years. Um, but it must have been such a nice feeling to be able to, to say you retired a Dolphin.
1: Oh, no question. Um, like you said, you know, that's what spent most of my career and I've seen guys take it personal and then, you know, you start making statements and, and, and it's not personal. It's just business. And I think I had been in the game long enough to see, to, 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 to know the difference between it, that it wasn't anything personal. If it was something personal, that might've been different, but it wasn't nothing personal. And, um uh, I understood that that like you said that that was a great thing to be able to come back home, sign and retire, and retire dolphins so that that was that was it
0: amazing stuff um before we go into our q and a um I want to ask you sort of about the current offensive tackles in the league. Who would you say the kind of guys you look to and kind of guys you like watching, but then also is there a player maybe you would compare yourself most to? Um, your kind of playing styles and offensive tackle to maybe a current offensive tackle in the league?
1: Uh, I just watch him. I don't try to compare people to me because I think everybody's kind of a little different. I mean, um, Ron Armstead, uh, I think that was a great, um, that was a great addition to the Dolphins. Uh, I like Larry Thompson when he was there. He's with the Texans now. I, I, I still watch him. And then Trent Williams is another guy that sticks out to me. He's in, uh, San Francisco, Um, so those are all left tackles guys that I watch and this and that, and really good and do a really great job at 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 their job. So I I just love looking at good offensive line play. So those are three guys that just kind of stick out. Um, Of course, I'm gonna probably see Toronto instead more than anything because I'm gonna watch the Dolphin games. But the other ones after the Dolphins, you know, I might catch one of those guys there.
0: Yeah, and I think it's, um, you know, a lot of times where he wasn't playing last season, we did struggle uh, to protect two a lot. So I think, you know, I think he's definitely one of the best. I think Trey Williams, for me, is the best I've ever seen in that, in that position. And I think he is definitely, I think, a first ballot Hall of Fame. But I think when he retires, I think he will be no doubt about it in, um, in the Hall of Fame straight away. Um, right, let's get to the Q&A, which we had a few Dolphins fans uh, had, uh, sent in questions. I did a post on our Facebook page, and a few Dolphins fans have come forward and asked you some questions. So you've already had Keith's question early on in the podcast. Uh, next one comes from Scotty Wheeler. Why do you think it took Zach Thomas so long to get into the Hall of Fame? And do you think you will ever, ever one day make it?
1: Yeah, Zach, uh, I, I thought he was deserving of it. I thought he should have been in there uh me as well i think i have the the resume for it um it just sometimes it takes sometimes to get guys in quick sometimes it takes a while i don't complete understand the process but um i'm glad zach got in this year and i will be in canton for his hall of fame induction speech this and that so i'm definitely looking forward to that and i went with when jason went in and i went when dan went in so uh, anytime my teammates go in, I'm gonna be there to support them. And uh, I'm I'm happy and overjoyed that, that Zach got in this year. So I'm definitely looking forward to that because he was he was definitely one of the instrumental guys on the defense to help us win a lot of football games. So and he's a Texas guy as well. So, you know, we got that in common. So yeah, I gotta go support my brother.
0: Absolutely. I think there actually is actually a few members from Finns Nation UK that are gonna be there. Uh, a few members of our of our fan group are going to be in Canton. Um, I had the pleasure of going there last year when I was in Cleveland, and um, it's great. The Hall of Fame is such a great place to visit. I mean, you've got. I also saw Dan Marino's um, bust. I saw uh, Greasy's bust. Um, Jason Taylor as well. And it's um, you know I think that if you get a chance, I don't know whether you have gone into the Hall of Fame and looked at the at the at the sort of the museum part of it, but some of the things you see are just incredible. I mean, you've got you know you've got signed jerseys, game-worn gloves, cleats, jerseys as well. It, I could have been there about 10 hours if I if I if I could have, I could have been there even longer. It's um yeah, it's so good. And I think that Sydney, when 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 they get you know Zach Thomas's bust into that room where they've got every single member of the Hall of Fame, I think it'll be it'd be even more special. Um now, next question um comes from well-known British broadcaster Nat Coombs, and he's asked, We've got a show over here called the Nat Coombs Show where the hosts pick games each week head-to-head. It's called Drew Lock of the Week. Who's going to win it this year, Nat Coombs or
1: Ollie Thornton? Hmm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go with – you say Nat Clombs or who's the other guy? Yeah, Nat Coombs. I, I'll Luke go Thornton. with Nat. Yeah, I, I don't know who's going to win it, but I, I'll just pick Nat just off the top of my head, but uh, – um, uh, I'm going I'm to I'm po- post my, my vote for Nat and I'm going to go with him. So maybe we'll see. Hopefully, hopefully I get it right. <laughs>
0: um, next question comes from Chris Weeks, who's asked, which defensive end did you least enjoy playing against and why?
1: Uh, I wouldn't say least playing against. I think the toughest guy that I played against, uh, of course, was Bruce Smith. And, um, you know, a lot of people say, well, you should look at it as a least, but... If that's the toughest guy you want to see you want to see how you measure up against the best and that's the, always the way i looked at it so uh i got to play him two sometimes three times a year and um matched up with him most of the time pretty good sometimes he won sometimes i did but that's the nature of the game but you always want to play against the best because that's how you you raise your level level of play and and, and get better so uh for me the toughest guy was Bruce Smith, hands down, and I always look forward to playing against him.
0: Yeah, well, actually, I had the pleasure through Finstation UK to speak to Dammer, you know, on Zoom as a group, as a like a Q and A sort of session within before the London game in 2021. And I actually asked him the toughest defensive end or defensive player or lineman he played against, and he did say Bruce Smith as well. So you've got a lot in common, and that's one of them. Bruce Smith, what a player he was, and um, certainly, yeah, gave you guys some some trouble in the in the 90s. Um, final question comes from Dolphins fan, Philip Workman, who's asked us, asked you, sorry, uh, what is it like going up against, what was it like going up against Brian Cox in practice every day?
1: <laughs> you know, Brian Cox, you know, you know, you, you know, he had the incident at Buffalo, but, um, the thing about Brian, man, he was, I mean, great teammate. Um, one of the smartest guys I played with, um, but um, if he felt someone right, you know, he was going to stand up for you. And um, if you was his teammate, he he would fight whether it was one guy or 200 guys over there. He was going to support you to the end. So that's what I love about Brian Cox. Um, we had some battles in practice and this and that, but it was always to get better. And I think he respected me and I respected him, but just his knowledge of the game of how he could, look at formations and say, it's going to either be this play, that play, or that play. I was always impressed with that. And I think that's why he's had success being a coach in the NFL because you know, the way his mind works and stuff like that. But uh, he was, he was tough in practice, but I always look forward and that's how we got better. So you need people on the other side of the ball. That's really, really good to help you maintain or get better. And he was one of those guys.
0: Fantastic. And that is where we'll end the episode. So that has been the Finns Nation UK podcast with a former offensive tackle, Richmond Webb. So first of all, once again, thank you for coming on the podcast, Richmond.
1: Hey, thanks for having me on. And I heard you say it's going to be some UK fans in Canton. So if they run by me, please tell them to stop and say, hello, this and that. I, I'm, I'm pretty easy approachable guy. So don't look at me and say, well man, we saw you, but we were scared to say something to you. Now just come up and say, hey, this and that, and we'll take a picture or whatever and all that. So uh I'm looking forward. Hopefully I get to meet some of those guys. Because if they're anything like you, we're gonna have a good time.
0: Amazing stuff. I think that they're, they're so keen to that. That's in their mission of the whole trip is to try and get a Zach Thomas autograph. I don't know how easy that would be if you I don't getting-
1: know either. That might be pretty tough. <laughs> <laughs>
0: But yeah, no, have a good time in Canton and hope you bump into the uh, crew from the UK. Uh, but yeah, that's been the episode, and we will see you guys next time.